Hello, Clash fans, and welcome to episode 8 of Inside Clash. I am indeed your host, Trample Damage. Today's episode is titled Economics 101, and some people would call it Economics 101, but I tend to pronounce it Economics 101. You may not know this about me, fun fact, but I also hold a bachelor's degree in economics. Uh, in addition to my degree in mathematics, I have two bachelor's degrees, actually. No master's degree, I am a poor, uneducated soul. But today's episode, we are going to be talking about the increase in pricing on the gold pass, in addition to the level 130 Archer Queen. Before we wind up diving into the final segment that we always end with, our questions from the audience! Well, I'm in love with your Valkyrie, so come on girl, take a spin with me. You know I love that flaming hair Swing around, it goes everywhere I take your curves in like a drug Everyone wants a Valkyrie to love So I did drop the spoiler in there about the level 130 Archer Queen because I think by now some people may be frustrated with talking about or thinking about the price increase on the Gold Pass where I actually wanted to wait until after I was able to see how my sales and revenue associated with a Gold Pass wound up changing in the month of July, basically end of, Ju end of June into July, before talking about my feelings. Now, of course, nobody likes paying more for anything, so I'm certainly not going to sit here and say I'm excited about the price increase. However, I tend to take a rather cold and dispassionate approach and view on all things related to money. So that's what we're going to wind up doing. We're going to talk about the price value proposition. I'm going to give you a couple perspectives on how I think uh, Supercell was considering approaching this, then taking a quick peek at what we already get and my take on the value that they are providing to us. So to kick off with the price value proposition, we'll go with a very, very brief economics lesson here on supply and demand. For those of you who don't understand or are not yet familiar with the basic premise of the supply curve and the demand curve, if you imagine back to your days of algebra, along the left, the vertical axis is price, and along the horizontal axis is quantity, or think of it as items people either want to buy or would like to sell at any given price. So uh, most of us, obviously, the price as the price increases on something, we tend to want to buy fewer of it, or thought of that conversely, when the price on something drops, we tend to be interested in purchasing more. So if you imagine what we refer to as the demand curve, it's this line using that axis that slopes from the upper left down to the bottom right. So as the price on an item drops, we are willing to purchase more of them. Now that's from the consumer's perspective. The supply curve is the opposite, right? As the price increases, people are potentially willing to produce or provide or sell more of them. So if a manufacturer was going to be able to make $20 million for selling a hair bow, of course they would want to make lots of hair bows. If they were only going to make $0.15 cents for selling a hair bow, maybe they're not quite as interested. So where these two curves intersect, because they essentially form an X on the chart, right? These, these two curves intersect at what is usually arrived at as the equilibrium price within a given market. This could be the market for purchasing Coca-Cola, of which I'm a big fan, or purchasing other gross cola that other people like to drink that's called Pepsi. You could consider them substitutes. Some people do. Some people think Coke and Pepsi perfect substitutes. Other Coke drinkers think Pepsi is a terrible substitute for Coke. Some Pepsi drinkers think Coke is a terrible substitute for Pepsi. So there's a lot of things that affect the market. And I want to talk about that notion of substitutes because I think that plays a large role here in Supercell deciding how they wanted to approach the pricing for their product, namely the Gold Pass. 
Now, when you look at something like Coke and Pepsi, uh, Coke can't just decide to start charging $50 for a 12-pack of soda because honestly, a lot of people who like Coke would still be like, oh, well, you know, maybe, maybe I don't think Pepsi is a good substitute, but maybe there's a Pepsi product that would be a viable substitute. Depending on the market that you live in, it might be something like Mr. Pibb. It might be something like, they renamed Sierra Mist to something else. I forget, like Sparkly Star. <laughs> I forget what they called it. But at a certain point, a Coke drinker for 5 or $6 per can would choose something else as a substitute for their Coca-Cola. Same would apply to Pepsi. Same thing applies when we look at brands of sneakers, video games, brands of clothing, different food products. It's kind of the same thing with video games, but here we're talking about something where Clash of Clans doesn't have a very obvious direct competitor. Their competitor, which I work in the gaming industry and the casino industry out in Las Vegas, and I always tell everybody, our competition is literally anywhere people can spend discretionary income. That could be the movie theater. It could be the bookstore. It could obviously be one of the competitors in terms of the casinos. It could be anywhere people are spending because we don't sell food. We're selling entertainment much the same way Supercell through Clash of Clans and their other app games are also selling entertainment. We are trying to compete for the last discretionary dollars. Now, for some people that have an addiction, whether it's an addiction to gambling or to Clash of Clans or to Heyday or to Call of Duty or to illicit narcotics, the first dollar I want to spend might be on Clash of Clans because I have a problem. I don't. I actually have an ability to regulate somewhat. But most people are spending discretionary income on something like a gold pass after their normal needs are met. Normal needs in terms of like, you know, food, clothing, shelter, that type of stuff. So when we start looking at the the competitors, they you know, there are other apps, there are other video games or other platforms that have something that is similar to the gold pass i play arena which is magic the gathering's online client they sell something they call their mastery pass it lasts for three months and it costs more than it's like i think it's like 30 bucks is what it works out to in in the game in terms of in-game currency my understanding is that games like fortnite and i know clash royale does and i think clash royale's team of whoever developed their new pricing model kind of made things easier for people to digest on the clash of clan side but because Supercell doesn't have an easy, obvious, direct competitor, it's not like, oh, well, the shoe store across the street started charging more, and now maybe their sales didn't change, and so they're just making more money, and so I'm going to go ahead and raise prices because that's what the market is apparently willing to bear. Supercell kind of has to guess. For some people, and this is where I think it's a challenge for Supercell, there are a lot of other products, a lot of other companies, whether you're talking about going to the movies, buying snacks at the grocery store, paying for going out to dinner, everything has become more expensive. So that what that means is Supercell, in this battle for trying to capture discretionary dollars, the number of discretionary dollars that people have left over is starting to decrease. Because we are spending more money on groceries. We are spending more money on clothing. I bought a pack of socks like a couple of weeks ago, and it was like a 12-pack of socks. It was probably 45 or 50% more expensive than it was, I'm going to say, two years ago. So as if I'm somebody who has limited income and I have discretionary money that I'm trying to spend on something like the Gold Pass, if my discretionary funds are being eaten up by things like purchasing socks and purchasing food, I might not be buying the Gold Pass unless I am somebody who has a lot more discretionary income or I'm somebody who is very, very heavily prioritizing my Clash of Clans purchases above other stuff. And at that point, I think Supercell has to make the decision to say, okay... 
we are going to potentially lose out on sales because other people are spending their discretionary money elsewhere, or we are going to wind up having to explain to our shareholders why other companies are growing revenue and we are not necessarily growing revenue. Now, you could potentially argue that Supercell would sell more gold passes as a result of the prices on other stuff going up, but I think it's hard to believe that people charging more for socks or for groceries would have somebody go, you know what, I'd rather have holy socks and still buy my gold pass. So it is a tricky situation that I think they had to approach. And there are three perspectives on how they could have approached price increase. They could do like the people who sell my socks and just raise the price and I'm getting the same number of socks. There's no change. So they could just simply raise the price. So they go from $5 to $7. They make literally no changes beyond that whatsoever. It's a pure and simple price increase. And as we know, Supercell chose not to go that route. They opted for the second option to them, which is saying, okay, we are going to charge more, but we are also going to try to add some kind of value to that proposition so that it's not a complete loss and it's not a complete takeaway, which we'll get to that in a minute. The other option they could have had is to try to legitimately sell a what you know what our current meant because a lot of people they complain about this is like it's all digital stuff. It's really easy. It doesn't even cost them anything. They don't have to manufacture anything. But the truth is, for every hero book that they give away in game, that's one fewer hero book that somebody's going to wind up purchasing later for gems or for dollars on a on some kind of item in the store. So they did have to be careful. They can't just legitimately take two dollars worth of future revenue bake it into the gold pass, otherwise they're going to wind up sort of back in the exact same boat. And again, cold business logic on this one. It would dictate that Supercell should add something that is a little bit more squishy and fluffy in terms of value that doesn't necessarily cost them revenue-making opportunities in the future, yet still provides us as players the perception that they are trying to work with us. From that perspective, I actually feel like they did a pretty good job on this. They didn't throw in a whole lot of additional guarantees like, oh, now you're going to get three hero books each month. Because again, I know myself, I spend a lot of money just buying books of heroes so that I can keep my pets up, so I can keep my heroes up, so that I can continue to play in war, enjoying the game the way that it is most fun for me. We did get the extra season bank, which at the end of the season, everybody's flush with all their gold, their elixir, their dark elixir, their starting upgrades. It's like an extra half an upgrade or an extra wall piece. So it is value, which some people will, especially at lower town halls, find a lot of value in that without necessarily costing Supercell a bunch of money because it's loot. And loot is a little bit more squishy and flexible for them because there is so much of it to be had in the game. We got the builder base bank that was added. I'm not a huge builder base fan. There are, I know the, the majority of people on average are not like huge builder base fans. There's a lot of people that play it because they only have one base. Maybe they have two bases. And it's something else to do in the game that does provide them with a level of excitement. They might not necessarily love the builder base. They might not love it as much as the home village. But it is actual legitimate value that they are providing to anybody who has an even remote interest in the builder base by adding that builder bank. That is a legitimate add in a way that probably doesn't cost them much, particularly with the new loot gaining system on the builder base. The cosmetics that they added and the additional clan capital gold, which I don't even know if it's additional clan capital gold. I know I got a new, there's a new uh, clan house roof available. Speaking as somebody with far too many accounts who has purchased the windmill, some color variation of windmill for every single one of my accounts, because I'm trying to make a clan capital village that's green. One day I'm going to do a 50 person clan that has not all my bases. I'm going to get other people with windmills to come and join just so that I can take some screenshots of 50 windmills in the clan capital. 
I like that they added the cosmetics there. It is something that nobody is spending. Very, very few people would be willing to spend real-life dollars or gems in-game to purchase the cosmetics for the clan capital stuff, but it is a nice add, particularly for players that aren't going to wind up spending their raid medals on excess stuff like cosmetics because people are very appropriately valuing the raid medals towards self-donation, gold elixir, dark elixir, research potions, pet potions, all those other items that are so much more valuable than the research potion, I mean, than the than the, the cosmetics for the clan capital, now they have an opportunity to sort of deck out their clan capital without having to give up the raid medals. It's a cheap, easy add, and I honestly think it's a win for Supercell. They also added the new potions, which the pet potion that would wind up on the track is basically worth an extra day of time on the hero upgrade for your pets, which I think is a lovely addition. And we got the now, they say like it's the guaranteed fifth rune, which if you're not a builder base lover, a lot of times the fifth rune is a builder base rune, which, eh. but that fifth rune is actually legitimately something that I was surprised that they were willing to say that they were going to add because that is something that could potentially cost them revenue in the future. Not as much revenue as I think the books, because like a book of building and a book of everything and a book of heroes those and a book of fighting, those definitely have a good value and a lot of people make those purchases in the shop. So I feel like they actually did a pretty good job of giving us additional stuff without just saying we're simply passing a price increase along to you guys. I feel like they did a pretty good job of giving us stuff without necessarily having to cost themselves money in the future. So my take on the value that they provided, it really depends on what we're comparing it to. If you said, well, it's an extra $2 a day, would you be willing to skip one day of Starbucks every other month in order to continue purchasing the Gold Pass? A lot of people would say, sure. Would you rather have, you know, the extra $2 is like seven years worth of additional Gold Passes or a single person's average day at Disneyland? I love Disneyland. I also love Clash of Clans probably more than I love Disneyland because I get tired of Disneyland. I can only do it, you know, for one day and then I'm, I'm, I'm exhausted or two days. And there's a lot of fun that I get throughout the month in the form of Clash of Clans, which I absolutely could get as a free-to-play person. But I like all the stuff that I get in the Gold Pass. It's valuable to me because it gives me back stuff in the form of time, which I value my time very, very highly. You know, if you're somebody who is younger, if you're somebody who is a little bit more uh, strapped in terms of the financial resources that you have, if your discretionary disposable income is a little bit lower, the extra $2 is probably something that is a little bit of a, of a bite that's a little bit difficult to deal with. And in that case, what I would say is take a month every now and then where you're not buying the gold pass or maybe go down to buying a gold pass like once a quarter and you have to just ease up a little bit on what you're playing in Clash of Clans because it is something that's a very real proposition. And a lot of people downplay it as it's only $2 and a lot of people I think blow it out of proportion by saying it's a 40% increase because honestly a 40% increase on $100,000 is a much scarier proposition for people than a 40% increase on something that used to cost a dollar. I know 40% sounds like a lot. Buy it through the Supercell store. There are ways to potentially fade the cost, but it is a very real. I have I have people that I know at work that have said to me, at five bucks they feel like the value is there, but at seven they don't. And I honestly I don't get it because I'm talking about people that have plenty of disposable income, but they're like it's kind of a ripoff. But one of the people that was complaining to me about this is somebody who used to very willingly spend four or five dollars on a frequent basis to purchase a book of heroes or a book of building or something that was 
one of many, many, many items that are provided in the Gold Pass. I think it's just the Gold Pass has had such a ridiculous value over the years that we sort of take for granted. I mean, I don't. I think of it as the best deal in the game, and I realize you have to play to be able to get those items that are in there. But the value of the Gold Pass to me is actually worth a lot more than the $5 that they charge for it because all the extra time that I save in terms of building development and troop training speed and the, you know, I get to spend gems on the game more aggressively by getting the one gem plus the skins that are involved. To me, the Gold Pass has always felt like something that I would have probably been content paying 11 or $12 a month for because that's how my perception of the game is in terms of the worth that I get from it. I think about like a lot of video games people play. You know, I I played Metroid Prime on the Nintendo Switch not that long ago. The game cost $60. It took me about 14 hours to beat it. Yes, I could play the game more times if I want to. But even if I round it and call it say $15, I'm basically getting an hour of play for $4. I'm spending $4 an hour to have played Metroid Dread. And even if I play it, I don't know, play it four times all the way through, I get 60 hours of play out of it. I'm paying a dollar an hour, which is like five hours worth of play. I play Clash of Clans more than $5 worth each month, like five hours worth of play at that same price value proposition. And some of the people that I've seen complain about it are also people that shell out 60 or even $70. My wife got me a PlayStation 5 for my birthday. The games are 70 bucks for the good ones. Like the new fancy games are $70. To me, I don't know. The Gold Pass has a, a much higher value to it. But I recognize it's incredibly frustrating. I just happen to be approaching this from a much more business, logical perspective of... They are a business. They recognize that their product has value on the market, and they don't know exactly how to value themselves without taking a shot every now and then at saying, do you guys think our product is worth $2 more? If enough people say yes, they stay the course, they're happy. And if enough people say no, then they wind up having to regret the decision that they made. But because it's so difficult for them to compare in terms of having you know, any reasonable substitute, I honestly think it's a guess that's going to wind up paying off for Supercell. And I'm going to tell you this is why I think that. I'm looking at my own creator code sales, the amount of times my creator code was used on the 30th of June into the 1st of July relative to the other nine months that I've been in the creator program. It is the second lowest number of times that my creator code has been used, but it was also the third highest amount of revenue that I've had in those two days. Now, I want to I want to take that take take this with a grain of salt because I had a lot of sales once Supercell announced the price increase was going to go up. We told people go use the Supercell store, buy a bunch of them now. You can avoid the price increase for eight months, and a lot of people did that. So a lot of the people who normally would have purchased my creator uh, purchased the Gold Pass using my creator code ended up making those purchases earlier in the month, and those sales I'm not even counting in what happened on June 30th and July 1st. So what I'm guessing is that this is definitely a financially winning proposition for Supercell for many reasons. One is enough people value their product highly enough that the $2 to them is still worth it. Number two, there are people who literally just don't care and will wind up spending money. There are people, they buy every skin, every scenery, every everything that comes in the game. They stock up on all the books, and those players are absolutely going to find the value to it. Or they are people who 
find enough additional value in the stuff that was offered to not just say, oh, well, you know, the gold pass at seven bucks was worth it already because I would still be buying multiple gold passes even if the price simply went from five to seven without any change. That's just me. I play the game too much. I know I am not the average person, but the average person appears to be... Maybe take that with a grain of salt. The average person who at least watches my content and is willing to use my creator code is still willing on average to purchase the same number or more of gold passes because of the stocking up on the Supercell store. But I am curious to see how things wind up panning out over the next couple of months. And I've heard a lot of feedback from people that was both positive and negative. I had a lot of people start out saying, like, it's really not that bad. Look at how bad they messed it up with Clash Royale. I think if Clash Royale hadn't made whatever mistakes they made, people would be more upset than they are with Supercell on the Clash of Clans front. But in the end, I do think it's going to mean more revenue for Supercell, which could potentially, it won't necessarily, but it could potentially lead to, you know, more staffing, more developers, uh, a better development cycle, one that we can enjoy and still keep pace with. But I don't know. We'll see. Overall, big frustration for most people seeing their money go out the window, but at the end of the day, from a pure business perspective, everything that they did makes absolute sense, and I think that from a pure business perspective, they did a very good job choosing to and rolling out their price increase. Okay, we're going to jump from that over to the math side of things, which today we're going to talk about the level 130 Archer Queen. And I know what you're thinking. Triple damage, the Archer Queen only goes to level 90. And that is a true statement. She does go to level 90. But do you know what else we have? We have the Apprentice Warden. The Apprentice Warden, when maxed out at Town Hall 15, level 4, I'm a big fan of the Apprentice Warden. I'm telling you, this thing is going to make a splash. Maxed Out Apprentice Warden deals 215 damage per second. It has the exact same range as the Archer Queen. So in terms of a Queen charge, if you deploy your Archer Queen and her normal 5 healers, let's say none of that changes, and you throw an Apprentice Warden into the mix, let's ignore what the Apprentice Warden can do for the healers in terms of getting hit by Red Air Mines, or maybe you know one of them got targeted by an Archer Tower, so maybe they survive longer. Just the effect that the Apprentice Warden has on the targets that the Archer Queen is going after and the hit points the Archer Queen has, it's a huge impact. Adding 215 damage per second from the Apprentice Warden is going to take the Archer Queen theoretically from, from 880 damage per second all the way up to 1,095, which is a huge increase over where she's at. It's a nearly 20-something percent increase, 20, almost 25% increase. And here's the thing. If you look back at the number of hit points that the archer if you look at the back of the damage per second that the archer queen has picked up over the course of time early on when you first get the archer queen she's gaining four five six seven damage per second every time you level her up by the time she gets into the 40 to 50 to 60 range she's moved up to 11 12 13 15 damage per second i think she tops out of 14 She's picking up 11 or 12. It's still a 2.5% increase in damage per second every level that goes up. But by the time the Archer Queen reached level 65, she starts getting incrementally smaller increases in damage per second. To where by the time we get to level 80, the Archer Queen is only getting 4 or 5 additional damage per second per level, which is basically a half a percent increase. If you were to throw an Apprentice Warden in with her, because he's got the exact same range as the Archer Queen, and he's caught up in the splash healing that the healers do, he actually adds to that 215 damage per second. At the current trajectory that the Archer Queen's hit points, I'm sorry, damage per second growth is on, the Archer Queen would not reach the extra 215 damage per second until she would be 133. 
So we have 43 additional levels of damage per second by dropping an Apprentice Warden literally right on top where the Queen is because he follows her. And with the same exact range, he stands in the same spot that the Queen stands in because to reach the target that the Queen is targeting, the Mini Warden has to move to the spot that she's at, and he'll always take the shortest route because that's what the Archer Queen is doing. But he stays right on top of her. Now here's the other thing. From a hit point perspective, because of the 30% boost that the Apprentice Warden gives the Archer Queen, that's 1160 additional hit points on top of a level 90 Archer Queen. The Archer Queen, again, just like damage per second, she used to get about 2% additional hit points at every level. Now she's down to below 1% additional hit points at each level. She's only been getting 30 extra hit points per level really since level 80. So at 30 hit points per level, the extra 1160 hit points the Archer Queen gets is basically 39 more levels of hit point increase, which would put her at a level 129 Archer Queen. So on average, if you have an Apprentice Warden standing in the same spot as the Archer Queen, it is the equivalence of having a level 130 Archer Queen. If you have not tried this, I strongly suggest you try it. I've heard other people say, well, you know, an Ice Golem buys them more time or you can use other stuff to tank, and the Archer Queen's already so strong on her own. People started getting super excited about five more levels on their Archer Queen. People used hero books and dark elixir runes and and hammers of heroes to get their Archer Queen from level 85 to 90, when you could actually get your Archer Queen, I know, I'm using a Susie, from level 90 to level 130 by adding an Apprentice Warden into your attack. For reference, because they get the healing, they can hold up to any of the defenses on the map that are targeting them just as strongly as the Queen can do. I've been doing it with Town Hall 13, Level 2 Apprentice Wardens. I've been doing it Town Hall 15 with Level 3 Apprentice Wardens. They have enough hit points that when five healers are on them, they're just as sturdy as the Archer Queen is. Additionally, they are too heavy to be hit by spring traps. Giant bombs are going to phase them just the same. They are, it's an extra body on there. And sometimes, depending on where the, you know, like if a couple skeletons pop up, every now and then you do get lucky and the Archer Queen will shoot a different one than the Apprentice Warden is going after. I strongly recommend checking out the new level 130 Archer Queen. Okay. So now we're going to wrap it up with our favorite part of the show the questions from the audience. Today's first question comes to us from Jonathan T. 1983. If I get a trample damage tattoo, is it automatically a trample stamp? I'm going to say yes, and while I do not have any tattoos myself, and I don't actively want to encourage anybody to get a tattoo, if anybody out there actually winds up with a trample damage tattoo, I'll probably do something like buy them some gems or buy them some gold passes just as a way of saying, I'm so sorry for creating content that you like enough that makes you want to go get a trample damage tattoo. And the gold passes or the gems would be some kind of consolation prize. A question from Magnus. If I beat you in the challenge, can I get a signed copy? So this is in regards to merchandise that my son is currently working on trying to find a vendor for me to sell merchandise for trample damage stuff. And Magnus and I were taking part in a challenge set up by Void Boy that was a race to Town Hall 10, and we literally tied. So, like, I was on the game chatting with him, and I was like, hey, you know, I feel bad about this. I'm so far ahead of you guys. I'm pretty sure, like, I win automatically in two days. And then I went, wait a minute. Actually, I think... 
oh, I don't even have to wait for my expo to finish building. I can actually just deploy this stuff right now, upgrade my town hall, and use a hammer my book on that. And he's like, oh, haha, yeah, you're right, you probably could. And I was like, wait a minute. And I looked at his base, and his base was a town hall 9. I went back to my base, and I quickly did the last few things I needed to do, upgraded my town hall, used the hammer of, not the hammer, the book of building, finished my town hall, and I said, okay, I'm done. And he said, peep my base. And I looked at his account, and he also had a town hall 10. So we tied, um, and since he didn't beat me in the challenge, uh, no, you can't have a signed copy of merchandise. But if you do actually buy any merchandise and I can find a way to sign it, yes, I will find a way to sign it for you, but not because you beat me in the challenge or because I beat you in the challenge, but because you're cool and we'll try and figure it out, figure something out. Uh, okay, a question from Duck. Will there be live listen-ins for the podcast? As of right now, I'm doing this, like, right now I'm literally sitting in my Toyota Corolla recording this on headphones that are plugged into my iPad. I'm sure I could probably figure out a way to also get some cell service to my GarageBand app, and or I don't know, I'd have to... I don't know what I'd have to do. Do it on Discord or something. Uh, as of right now, I don't have plans to do it live. Although, maybe I'll try and at some point squeeze in, like, chats on there, drive home. I don't know. But as of right now, no plans for listen-ins, even though it would be cool. Um, I, 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 just, I should probably just say no and then move on. No, there's no plans. Maybe one day. Question number four comes to us from Congressman Coolrick, uh, one of my longest time clan mates and one of the people with whom I am closest. He's probably the person I'm closest with in game. He's a really cool dude. Uh, he, I'm not going to tell you where he lives. I know where he lives. I know his name. And uh, we we sent pictures of each other to each other and our kids and stuff just because we've become friends. So you know he's a he's a cool dude. His question his question is. Why is Liam managing your list of questions so well while half-assing the spreadsheet tasks he's taken on for the subreddit over the last year? To that, I can only say I'm going back to sociology classes from when I was in college, and there is this, this notion with groups. And there are, there are lots of theories about groups and how social structures exist. If you have a group with, with many, many members, hundreds, thousands, millions of members, that group has a very strong likelihood of surviving the loss of any portion of their members. But the individual relationships between the members are much smaller. So if you take a group of 50 people and one person leaves the group, then the group can still persist because with 49 people, it's like, hey, we still have a strong group. Maybe that each person in the group of 50 doesn't know all the other 49 people as well, but it's a probably bigger and stronger group, which means there's a trade-off. You have weaker individual personal relationships within the group. My theory on why Liam is managing my list of questions better while half-housing the spreadsheet is because Liam essentially and I represent, as it pertains to the list of podcast questions for trample damage, we represent a group of two. And so there's a stronger relationship there, because if he's not doing his part, the group completely falls apart, which I would survive if Liam ever decided he didn't want to manage the list of questions. I would go back to, I, I would manage it. No problem. I can certainly do it. I am very appreciative of the work that Liam does to help me be able to do this more quickly, something I really appreciate. And, but the group, as it exists today, would fall apart if Liam stopped doing it. It would go back to being a one-person group of just trample damage. So I think because... Whatever responsibilities Liam has on the Reddit side is something that's part of a larger group with smaller individual personal connections. The amount of priority and focus on keeping that group together because it's not contingent on one specific relationship, I think that's probably why I have such good care and service. 
Uh, speaking of Liam, I have a question from Liam Titan. What is the biggest lesson you've learned in the last 12 months? So I'm actually wise beyond my 43 years. I think if I was if I was thinking about not necessarily a lesson that I learned, but a lesson that I probably already knew but learned more clearly and more thoroughly from a personal perspective is no matter how much you prepare for one of your kids going off to college, it's never actually going to be as easy if you have good relationships. If you have terrible relationships, you don't like your kids, it's not a problem. Don't sweat it. There's nothing to worry about. If you have good relationships with your kids and they're going to be going to school a couple thousand miles away, it is going to be a lot harder than you probably thought it was going to be. And my gut tells me it's not going to be any easier coming up on the second time around when my daughter, two years from now, will wind up also going off to college. Uh, if the question was intended to be the biggest lesson I've learned in the last 12 months with regards to Clash of Clans, then what I would say is never underestimate the value of Coco Loons. A question from Void Boy, the one who set up the Race to Town Hall 10 challenge. What are your favorite hero skins and sceneries in the game? I really love a lot of the Barbarian King skins, and so many of them in my mind get honorable mention, including the really cool new Raid Metal, not Raid Metal, Clan War League Metal Titan King skin. That thing is awesome. I love the Golem King skin. I love the Tiger King skin. I love the Beast King skin. There are so many of the Beat King. I think I have like nine Beat King skins, but my favorite is the Skeleton King. I just love how when he gets knocked out, like his arm falls off. The Skeleton King is definitely my favorite Barbarian King skin, even though it is not, it's definitely not the best one for most people. I love the skin. It's always been my favorite. For the Archer Queen, my favorite is the Zombie Queen. I love how she's got like a leg that drags along the ground and one of her arms is kind of bum because like it's falling apart. It's a great skin. I think the flavor is super cool. I really like it. I, for a long time, said the Valkyrie Queen skin was my favorite because of a conversation my wife and I had. I jokingly said that she's hot and that I want to pull her ponytail, and we just cracked up laughing. So for a long time, because of the memories associated with that conversation, the Valkyrie Queen was my favorite. But with the addition of the Zombie Queen skin, that one is hands down my favorite. On the Grand Warden, I will say the Clockwork Warden is the only Clockwork skin I like. The others were really ugly. I do like the Clockwork Warden skin. It's super cool. Also a close one because there are so many cool Grand Warden skins. But my favorite Grand Warden skin is the Clockwork Warden. And my favorite Royal Champion skin is the Jungle Champion. I think it was a really cool flavor that they added you know her her outfit is super cool plus you know she throws spears and it's kind of got this like you know she's like a like an old school jungle based civilization they're fighting with spears and sticks and they're hunting with spears and i just think it was a really cool skin totally like that one my favorite scenery is the spooky scenery or the hog mountain scenery the spooky scenery i think hands down is the coolest looking one but i love hog riders so i also really like hog mountain but if I had to pick a favorite, it would be the spooky scenery. The only thing I don't like is that the clan capital and the forge, they're like really far at the bottom. So sometimes I would miss my forge gold when I logged in because I didn't see it right away. As a pair, though, as a set, I think that magic skin set that they released with Town Hall 15 is by far the best set slash series that they created. And I absolutely love it. I wish it had been cheaper. I would have picked it up on more accounts, but that one is really cool. And the final question for today, coming from J-Bob. Which hero do you recommend upgrading first when upgrading from one Hound Hall to the next, and why? I will say this. I always max my heroes before I move on to the next Town Hall. 
which means I'm using nearly max heroes every single time I start a new town hall because at the higher town halls, you're usually only getting like an extra five levels when the new town hall comes out and as you upgrade. The delta between the weakest hero at a level that was maxed from the prior and the max hero at that level, yes, it's a difference. Yes, it's potentially noticeable. But as we talked about with the Archer Queen earlier, most of her upgrades were getting 30 extra hit points and 4 extra damage per second, which means on 5 new levels or 10 new levels, you're getting 40 damage per second and you're getting 100 hit points. The Barbarian King in raw numbers. Percentage terms, I realize they're similar. In raw numbers, the Barbarian King gets the largest increase in hit points and damage per second almost every single time for every single level. So I always wind up starting on my Barbarian King. It's no longer the price of... Like, I don't, we don't pay a price for the Dark Elixir to train Dark Elixir troops, but back before we had to train Dark Elixir, I always liked my Barbarian King because my armies were giants, wizards, barbarians, and archers pounding into the core to get the Town Hall and the Dark Elixir, and a big beefy skin, I mean, a big beefy body on that Barbarian King, coupled with the highest level available at the prior Town Hall for my Archer Queen was something that was very, very worthwhile to me pounding into the core of a base. I will say, so my my order of priority, I think of the Warden differently because the Warden uses Elixir, so I'm always upgrading the Warden right away. If I had to choose only between the Warden and the Barbarian King, I'd go with the Warden because the extra time on the Eternal Tome really does add up. But the Barbarian King is my number one priority. My number two priority is the Royal Champion because the Seeking Shield ability, when it jumps up, is worth so much. And I know that the Archer Queen's Royal Cloak is also worth so much. The Archer Queen's Royal Cloak is a beast at every single level, and the incremental damage you get is not always enough to, in my mind, make a difference to have her upgraded before the Royal Champion. So in this, I am completely weird because I upgrade them in the exact opposite order that pretty much everybody else does, who prioritizes Queen, then Champ, then Barbarian king but i do it in the opposite order because the extra hit points on that barbarian king so valuable to help fade the increases in defenses that you wind up facing and that will wrap it up for the questions from the audience for this week and if you do want to support me, of course, use code TRAMPLE. Make sure you're following me, whether it's on Spotify or on Apple Podcasts. Make sure that you're following me on TikTok, on YouTube, on Instagram. I really appreciate the support. If you want to ask any of the questions that I will potentially answer in the questions, questions from the audience section, you can find it on my Discord server. I will link that in the notes below. Please, even if you're not using code TRAMPLE, use somebody's creator code. The people that put in work to make content, whether it's YouTube videos, if it's the, the Clash Ninja tool, if it's Clash Spot, which I'm going to be talking about on my next podcast episode, these people put in so much time and effort. If you're not supporting me, please choose somebody else to support. It's, you know, it's a, another way of potentially getting back at Supercell if you're upset about the price increase. More of your money will go to somebody else who is doing this for the love of the game or for a career that's wholly based on the support they get from listeners like us. I hope you guys enjoy the podcast, and we will check you out on the next one.